Hello, everyone. Today's episode is on the Christian mystical classic, The Cloud of Unknowing. This episode is a bit of an intro into the cloud author's theology, the cloud author's mysticism, this concept of going beyond, as well as this mystical book, this mysterious book that really took the Catholic world by storm in the Middle Ages. And this practice, this thought, this emphasis on going beyond and finding God in this cloud is something that is still commonly discussed by the great mystics, priests, and doctors of the church throughout time. So I hope you enjoy. This week we get into an overview. Next week we get more into techniques. We'll talk about centering prayer. We'll talk about Eastern versus Western mysticisms. It's going to be a lot of fun, but I hope you enjoy today's breakdown of one of my favorite works, The Cloud of Unknowing. Enjoy. Peace be with you and with your spirit. Welcome to another episode of St. Anthony's Tongue. I am your host, W. In the 14th century, a mysterious book began to grow in popularity. The book centers on this anonymous priest, this maybe even anonymous abbot of a monastery. In the book, he is teaching his student on the ways of contemplative prayer. And this book is written as a guide to this student. And more specifically, the author is teaching his student how to reach God through entering a cloud of unknowing and also a cloud of forgetfulness. And the book's prologue adds even more mystery to it. It contains the following warning. So as soon as you open it, the first words are this. Do not willingly and deliberately read it, copy it, speak of it, or allow it to be read, copied, or spoken of by anyone or to anyone, except by or to a person who, in your opinion, has truly undertaken a vow to be a perfect follower of Christ. And this book, which was called The Cloud of Unknowing, was written in Old English, and it was kind of moved from monastery to monastery all throughout England, and it would change hands, and each area the book would almost have this cult-like following, but of course, as you read or as you heard in the beginning, it was also sworn to secrecy a bit. But the book inspired generations of mystics and saints. It even allegedly inspired the great St. John of the Cross. In the book, it centers on this concept of connecting with God by going beyond the intellect. We can connect with God by surrendering our mind, our ego, and even moving beyond our preconceived notions of God, because it's only then 
and we truly grasp God, we move past all the things that we think we know of him and cling to. So this idea and this concept, yes, it resonates with many spiritual seekers today, and it has glimpses of Advaita Vedanta and Hinduism, even some Zazen and Buddhist thought. We get a little bit into that today. But it's also steeped in early Christian tradition. This belief that we can only say what God is not, and this emphasis on going beyond the mind and going into this transcendent nature of God, it's found in many early church fathers. Of course, many of the Eastern fathers, but also St. Augustine, who said, if you comprehend it, it is not God. If you are able to comprehend it, then you mistook it for something else. Though one of the most influential figures in this idea and concept of moving beyond the intellect is St. Dionysus, and he was a writer who took his pen name after the disciple of St. Paul. And he was a Syrian monk and a mystical writer who solidified this path. And this path is what we now call via negativa or the negative way. And that is finding God through negation or through focusing on what God is not. And I've discussed this in the series already by other names. It's also called cataphatic theology or negative theology. So the opposite of via negativa is via positiva, which is focusing on what we do know about God. So Dionysus is actually the one who gave us the term mysticism. His first work was called Mystical Theology, and he laid out this groundwork for seeing God as transcendent. And this theme was shared by the early fathers, but this via negativa of Dionysus, it really put more emphasis on moving beyond the mind, moving beyond thought. But it's a little heavy, it's a little wordy, it's a 5th century writing that's likely been translated hundreds of times from an ancient form of Syrian, and, you know, of course, we read it, us English speakers in English, so it's a little heavy. But in the 14th century, this gentleman that we only know as the cloud author took these concepts and formed them into the cloud of unknowing. And I would say he's probably the best and most direct teacher of this path of negation. And if you read The Cloud of Unknowing, and he also has another book called The Book of Privy Council, he's a very interesting guy. He almost sounds like a Zen monk, but then also like a very gentle priest, giving you guidance and giving you direction. And he summarizes this negation path really well. So I'm going to get into The Cloud, I promise. But first, let's focus on this path of negation. So before we talk about via negativa, let's talk about via positiva. And yes, I have talked about this before, but I think it's time for a little bit of a refresher. So via positiva, this is finding God through our mind, through our intellect. But it's also more than that. It's about what we know about God. And there are things we do know about God, right? We know that God is merciful. We know that God is good. We know that God is love. If you look at the canticles of St. Francis of Assisi, he mentions how Brother Tree and Sister Moon all sing God's praises. He's talking about the beauty of nature also being reflective of God. You have these poetic comparisons in Job. God is like 
a mother doe bearing her young, or in the Psalms, God is a shepherd, God is a steady ship, a fortress, and so on. You also have these comparisons in many of the works of the great saints that we've already discussed. Hildegard comparing God's love to a greening, Catherine of Siena, how God is a gentle mirror. You also have the biblical elements, such as in John, which simply tells us God is love. So we do have things we do know about God. And they reveal aspects of God, and thus they help us grow closer to God. But then there's also the opposite, right? And that is via negativa, that is about going beyond. So while we can say we know aspects of God to the point where you can even proclaim, I know God, God is still beyond, right? God is still beyond our intellect. Even though we know God, it doesn't mean that we can really ever comprehend God. And thus, via negativa is about going beyond these notions. Well, yes, we can affirm that God is a shepherd. That does not mean that God is not a judge, too. We can affirm that God is a doe bearing her young, but that doesn't mean that God is not the buck who protects his fawn. Christ is king, and yet he was also a pauper. Christ is all-powerful, and yet he was also this helpless infant who needed to be changed and nursed. So via negativa isn't always about complete negation. It's more about yes and, or better yet, I guess, maybe, but also. So you need both. So if you recall, at the top of this episode, I read the inscription that starts the cloud of unknowing. Do not willingly and deliberately read it, and so on and so forth. While this can be interpreted a few ways, remember that this was only being read by contemplative monks who were constantly being trained in theology, in some ways at least. So therefore, these monks already had a teaching of who God was. They didn't start out in this path of via negativa, at least in this monastery, right? Because the cloud author, who we can assume was likely their abbot or some other leader, first he wanted them to go deep in via positiva, deep in what God is. And then we can start going beyond. We can start really discerning. And later, likely in next week's episode, we'll get into some of the issues that people have with this path and also some of the practices that arose from it. But I think most of them can be quelled by that thought. Via negativa isn't forgetting. Or via negativa isn't saying we'll never know. Via negativa is just saying I know, but there's more as well. So I know, I know, I know, I keep bringing up this same four stanzas in St. John of the Cross's spiritual canticle. I know I do. But it affirms these two paths so well. So here we go again. The lover, so this is from the spiritual canticle. The lover, who is the seeker, the soul, goes out to find the beloved, who is God. And she sees glimpses of him in the trees, in animals, in flowers, and so on. And she is so overwhelmed by this beauty that it makes her grateful. But she knows that God's beauty even transcends this. So the lover says, I see God in all of these things. 
And if all of this creation is beautiful, how much more beautiful is God? And that is the path of via negativa. It starts with the positive, but then you transcend. I see God in all of this and it moves me, but I also know there's more. That is what this path is all about. And yes, despite being a spiritual classic, you can find the cloud of unknowing probably in any Christian or Catholic bookstore. It even transcends Catholicism to an extent. And yes, it kind of ventures off into the New Age crowd because of this idea of going beyond ego. But it still makes some Catholics uncomfortable. And that is because many Christians are caught up in this idea of belief to the point where this idea of going beyond the intellect to them might even mean you aren't Christian anymore because you're going beyond, right? Because to many, this is about you are a Christian only if there is this intellectual understanding, this I'm only a Christian if I, I truly believe and I believe in a certain way. The Cloud author, though, and many other mystics, they're very much Christian. They just knew that they could only say so much, and eventually we must go beyond that. This startlingly sometimes even means going beyond our preconceived notions of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a Catholic going beyond labels, going beyond routines, dropping all of this and staring God directly in the face. Now, this does not mean we are renouncing. It simply means we are able to see beyond what is human and fall into what is divine. And again, this is why the cloud author says that this is for advanced students, because that's easy to misinterpret. It's easy to see that as let's let go of labels until nothing matters at all. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying, see the beauty in the label, see the beauty in the ritual, but understand that God is still beyond. And there's a lot of caveats and nuance to those statements. But this idea of emptying is scary. But we're not saying we go beyond and lose ourselves, or we go beyond and we lose our personalities. And we certainly aren't saying don't love. This whole spirituality, all of Christian mysticism is rooted in being transformed by love. But this practice, both via negativa and the cloud, it's about understanding there's always something deeper. There's always a mystery. People personally ask me about some of my views. You know, if I'm a universalist, that's a good example. And my reply is always, I believe that God is rich in mercy, and I believe that God wills and wants all souls to return to him. That's my answer. I say this because I can never say what God will certainly do. I can say what I want, what I want God to do, but I cannot say what I do not know. And a question like that, and I'm using universalism as an example, which might not be a good idea, but something like that, it has so much intellect in it. And I can say what I want, 
but I also have to admit there are things that I simply do not know. Even elements of humanity that I disagree with or struggle with, if I truly want to follow God, I have to admit that there is mystery. There is so much mystery that goes beyond my understanding. And I'm also not saying that I'm not saying that we shouldn't grasp and go f- try to understand this mystery. But we also must admit that there is mystery. All right. So finally, what is the teaching of the cloud of unknowing? So the cloud is a practice, it's a process. So the author tells his student, the first time you try to sit with God, you will find darkness as if it were a cloud of unknowing. No matter what you do, this cloud will hold you back from seeing God clearly due to your light of understanding and desire. Therefore, prepare to remain in this darkness as long as you can, always begging for him you love. For if you are ever to feel or see him, you must always be in this cloud and this darkness. The author says that we must sit in this cloud, and whenever a thought or desire arises, we must cover it with a cloud of forgetting. So instead of thinking and having our mind race in these moments, we focus on our love for him and just being comfortable in this dark cloud. And thereby, though we always meet this cloud through love, through not seeking or desiring, we begin to pierce this cloud of unknowing with darts of love. The author continues, For he can be well-loved, but he cannot be thought. By love, he can be grasped and held, but by thought, neither grasped nor held. And therefore, though it may be good at times to think specifically of the kindness and excellence of God, though this may be a light and a part of contemplation, all the same in the work of contemplation itself, it must be cast down and covered with a cloud of forgetting. And you must step above it stoutly but deftly with a devout and delightful stirring of love and struggle to pierce that darkness above you and beat on that thick cloud of unknowing with a sharp dart of longing love. And do not give up whatever happens. The author says, if sinful stirrings or a wandering mind arises in these moments, trample them under this cloud of forgetting. Previously, the author kind of also alludes that good feelings of love can also be distractions. Therefore, acknowledge them, thank them, but let them go too. I think this is also because, yes, we will have true feelings of consolation given by God. That is part of contemplative prayer and contemplative practice. Those things happen. But if if we're sitting there hoping and praying for a visit by an angel or some specific thing, we're using our intellect, we're using our desire, rather than just simply sitting with our Father. The author concludes, And so I urge you, go after experience rather than knowledge. On account of pride, knowledge may often deceive you, but this gentle, loving affection will not deceive you. 
Knowledge tends to breed conceit, but love builds. Knowledge is full of labor, but love is full of rest. So this teaching is so simple and yet complex. So basically, this is a silent meditation focusing on God's love, but not really on God's love, right? Because even then we start to categorize it. And even then, a stirring of a feeling may also become a distraction. So it's really just this silent time we're spending with God, and when a thought arises, we cover it with this cloud of forgetting, which could come from a word, which could come from a prayer, and we go back to enjoying that connection. And this is similar to Zazen Buddhism. So I did sit Zazen for some time before coming back to Catholicism. And in Buddhism, and this is more than just Zazen, it's kind of a given that you're going to have sensory experiences. So you may feel something, you may hear something. So even Satori in Buddhism, which is kind of a small glimpse of enlightenment, they teach you to appreciate them, but largely ignore them because you start going back into your intellect. This also reminds me of St. Anthony of the Desert, who would be visited by angels during prayer, and he would only make the sign of the cross and then ask them to leave. But it's this just silent connection. And we thank him for the consolations, but we know that's not the point. The point is to spend time with God. And this silent meditation is akin to St. Teresa of Avila, who later would come and, and write about her mansions, and she would talk about the prayer of the silent gaze. We discussed that earlier this season. And this is a simple, silent time spent with God. And if the mind wanders, you just bring it back. And consolations and desolations, we've covered that when the St. John of the Cross episodes, they're important. And according to St. John of the Cross, he would teach that God will wean you off of them sometimes. My point, though, is that, yes, the consolations will come, but the cloud author is really getting to the heart of this time. This time is about God. So the author also suggests that one can pierce this cloud with a small mantra, even one word that will resettle our mind when it starts to drift away. And this eventually became what is now called centering prayer, which is next week's topic. So this week we discussed the cloud author a little bit via negativa and an overview. But next week we'll talk about how this has been modified for more modern times. So, concluding thoughts. And by the way, thank you for allowing me to have kind of a casual episode here. So today, like I said, I just wanted to introduce the cloud. And next week, we're going to get into more of the techniques. This book is short, The Cloud of Unknowing. I believe it's less than 200 pages. And maybe that's even with like an intro, depending on the publisher. So I recommend you check it out. It's a great read. And this concept, though, of centering prayer, which we'll talk about next week, it's kind of become, it's been labeled problematic in certain Catholic and Christian circles, which, spoiler alert, it's not. And we'll get into that. We'll get into this concept of emptying. 
next week and how I feel like a lot of contemplative, traditional Catholics who discuss contemplative prayer get a little too caught up on that. And they ignore that these same concepts were spoken of by John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, but they also spoke of it in a way that is different from the Eastern concept of emptying. But I think at the heart of the cloud of unknowing, it's just surrender. It's going beyond. It's not using the intellect too much. It's just this focus on looking for God. I will end this episode with a parable, a story from one of my favorite modern mystics who passed away way too early in the late 80s, the Jesuit priest, Father Anthony DeMello. He told the following story. There was a blind man who wanted to know what the color green looked like. So he asked people, what does the color green look like? One person told him, trying to explain to him in things and concepts he could understand, said that the color green is like smooth jazz. Another man said the color green is like cool water. A few weeks later, the man miraculously gained his eyesight back. And one day he remembered the color green. So he went to go look for it. He went to go look for it. And even though it was all around him, he couldn't find it. Because he was looking for jazz. <laughs> because he was looking for cool water. So quite often, we want to feel God. We want to seek God. We want experiences in our prayer life that look a certain way, that feel a certain way, that sound like jazz and feel like cool water. And if we're only looking for jazz and cool water, we're not going to find green, we're not going to find God. We have to go beyond our preconceived notion. We have to go into the cloud of unknowing. God bless you. I love you. And tune in next week for more.